Hey everybody, let's get to the getting, and let me start sending out some links. Eventually, I'm going to learn a better way to do this, but for right now, this is the way that is going to be done. All right, you have to forgive me having a little bit of technical issues, but nothing major. Nothing major. Uh, oh, I'm just going to adjust these levels. Send out some invites. How you guys doing? I'm going to be on this little bally thing. Hold on. Don't judge me. I need to get a better chair because this ain't it. This ain't doing it. All right. So got a guest on today. Let me turn that down a little bit. Hand to heart coaching, Tiffany Lindsay. So I'm going to send out these invites, see if we can get her on the line and go from there. Just going to send it out to everybody. Anybody who's in listening range of my voice. Marlene, what's going on? Show has, if you want to call in, you can. Show hasn't started yet. Sending out these invites. It's going to get popping at seven o'clock. Um, I drank some chamomile tea. Not realizing that it was a nighttime tea. So I'm just feeling real, real chill right now. And if I'm too low, you guys let me know so I can turn it up a little bit. I went to, what does this button do? Hello? All right. Um, I went to the Dirty South exhibit this Saturday. If you didn't go, today was the last day to check it out. And it was definitely worth it. It was free. And it really just talked about very awesome was cracking. It talked about the roots of, of like, uh, hey, 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 oh, you know, I'm on the, I'm podcasting right now. I yeah, thanks. I, you don't really care. Hey, hey, Tammy. Hey, Tammy. You mind getting your little homie? Yeah, that's you. Yeah, yeah. You want to say something? Tia Simi, what's going on, man? You want to? Yeah, yeah, I'm special guest. I need you. I need a baby. (laughs) Bye, Fred. See you later. Okay, you come back later. Um, Well, while I wait for my guest to come on, we got another nine minutes. Um, I've been having a pretty interesting. Last couple of weeks, it's been super duper stressful at work. I mean, like, my stress level has been up there. Uh, been creating this new program. I can't really, not like a computer program, but an entire program program from the ground up. And it's been really stressful dealing with your, you know, the employees, um, the infrastructure, the red tape, all of it, man, it can really, um, I hate saying, um, it can really wear you down. And in addition to that, I took, you know, I started that MBA program and all these papers are due and discussions. 
And then I tried, I think we talked about this last time, me doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu and all this stuff. And I had to, and singing lessons. Yes, ma'am. And singing lessons. And then I realized I'm completely overwhelmed. I was taking on too much all at once. And I don't know what exactly I was trying to accomplish by doing all that because I had these other unfinished tasks and I was piling on just more stuff and it didn't really make a lot of sense. So I don't know. I felt like I was, I don't know if anybody's ever felt like this. I'm, and, and you know what? I think I do know because for the past few weeks prior to that, I was kind of feeling in a depressive state. And when I get depressed, let me back up. And when I get depressed, I don't do anything. I pretty much just, um, I lay in bed all day. I don't get anything done. And whenever I come out of those states, sorry, if I, if y'all cannot hear me, please let me know. I don't want to do a whole podcast and nobody can hear me say something in the comment section. Um, Snoobia, what's, what's going on? I don't know. Uh, who that is, but hey, how you doing? Uh, when I get in my depressive states, I don't do much anything. And so when I come out of them, I go haywire. I just try to do everything. And now that I'm saying it out loud and talking it through, part of me almost wonders, am I trying to accomplish everything that I, that I can accomplish before the depression strikes again because what I, this is like right now at 40 years old, this is probably the most stable I've ever felt. I've always, always dealt with anxiety and I've always dealt with depression on some level. And I've started to realize in doing that, that I've, like I have a catastrophizing way of thinking because I'm so used to being on distress. I will inadvertently start making stressful situations in my mind. And it's really interesting how the mind works because it's so powerful. What I mean is that I self-sabotage, right? I get so not used to being comfortable. I'm, Comfortable being uncomfortable, if that makes any sense. And I'll give you an example. So today, not today, but this month is the one year anniversary of the first time of my um, Muay Thai, my Muay Thai fight bout that I had last year. I can't believe it's been that long. Um, dang, I gotta stop saying um. Instead of sitting around and getting better at Muay Thai, I decided to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I decided to do singing lessons. Instead of, get, instead of getting better at Muay Thai and instead of focusing on my artwork, and I realized that I had become comfortable with being uncomfortable. I preferred being the new guy at BJJ and being inept as opposed to being somebody fairly proficient at something. 
because it's not something that I'm used to. Because all the way from um, elementary, as long as I could remember, people were always telling me, is there another get in number to call? I don't have any space on my phone. Uh, I don't know. Let me see. Let's see. She's asking, is there a way that she can call in? Um, I don't know. I've never tried it that way. Uh, let's see. Anybody know? Well, let me see. No, I don't think so. I don't think there is a landline number that you can call. Um, you know, it happens. Well, I had been so used to being the odd man out, being the guy that never was good at anything. Good at anything. It just has been something that I had just been comfortable with for quite some time. So I think. No worries. All right. Um, I think it has just been something that I had gotten used to. I had become comfortable being a loser, basically. You know, I was talking to my buddy Tristan about just stepping out on faith and trying to do something that you've never done before. I was like from nursing school, for example. I've t- brought this up a number of times. I didn't graduate nursing school till I was 30. And the entire journey up to and through nursing school was incredibly difficult. And it required me to dig pretty deep because up until and I was operating purely off faith because up until that point, I had absolutely no track records of success. What to speak of like nothing. I was at the bottom of my class. You know, my GPA was 1.8. Uh, when I did go to school, I had to take all the remedial classes back. So, you know, that was further reinforcing, not feeling like I was enough. I took college algebra three times, twice because I failed it, and once because I got intimidated and, you know, just dropped the course. And it took me over the span of 10 years to get my associates, I mean, to get the prereqs for the program for the University of Texas. But at the time, things started changing. It was the first time, it was the first time I had ever made a plan, like a clear-cut plan. I printed up the syllabus for UT, what it would take to get in. And over the span of two to three years, I knocked off one class after another. And that was my goal. I didn't even apply to any other nursing schools. I was going to the University of Texas. I had just made up my mind, and that's what I was going to do. So I applied, and I got denied. And so I went to Houston Community College for one semester, and their nursing program was not the hottest but I wasn't discouraged. I took the courses at HCC 
And I started volunteering at hospitals because what I figured is if I start volunteering at hospitals, maybe somebody would know me and I'd be able to get into the program. I didn't give up. Well, after my first semester of HCC, I get a call from the University of Texas. I was on the wait list and they're saying, hey, did you still want to apply? And I was like, well, do my nursing credits count from HCC? And I know you have to start over. I dropped it and I got in. And everything else after that was just... um, Everything after after that, it just it just started this ball rolling of accomplishments, and it started to make me realize that accomplishments beget more accomplishments. And I was working out the other day, and something hit me. I was listening to some kind of thing by this dude named Eric Thomas. He's some kind of motivational speaker. Let me see some kind of motivational speaker. You've probably seen him on Instagram. And I realized that if you want to accomplish anything, there's pretty much only three things that you need to do. Start, why, and don't stop. Initially, the why was first. But then I realized You don't want your why to be first because that was the mistake that I made and the mistake that they teach you in school. Because, you know, when you're trying to pick your major and what have you, yet they want you to go into this deep metaphysical place. And this is the thing that you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. Hey, Hey, are you on? I think you're here. Can you hear me? Tiffany, can you hear me? I can see you. All you have to do now is request to join and we can get going. So first thing, oh, what I'm saying is the why. Don't start with the why because what happens a lot of time when you start with the why, you don't know why. And you get stuck in like this analysis paralysis. You're just frozen. You don't know what you want to do. Look, I said it on the last show and I'll say it on this show. You know exactly what you want to do with your life. It just doesn't seem realistic to you at the time. Where I'm at now is by far beyond my wildest dreams. I was only ever shooting for 50,000. I see you in here. In the chat. Okay, try to call in. And the line open. I sh- I was only shooting for fifty thousand. That's all I could. And, you know, I was trying to be a bus driver. Not that there's anything wrong with bus drivers, but I thought that was my cap. You know, even when I was going through nursing school. I suffered from imposter syndrome really bad because I didn't feel like I belonged there. Like I was like the affirmative action pick and I was getting, I had such bad test anxiety and any of my, I don't know if it's just me, but you know, being like one of the only black guys in the class, you have this weird feeling that you're like, 
representing for every black person in the world. And if you fail, it's like giving credence to people that you're not smart and that you got here because of some program. I know it's completely ridiculous, but it was the first time, excuse me, that I realized how bad my test anxiety was. It was so bad that I would get heart palpitations. I would feel like I'm going to pass out because, you know, honestly, excuse me, I had everything writing on passing nursing school because what happened was I was out of, it's a long, complicated story, short, long version, short, HCC was charging me double what they were charging everybody else. So I, I was paying like double every time coming out of pocket to pay for these classes. So I had hit the aggregate limit of loans that you could take for a bachelor's. So if I didn't pass nursing school at the University of Texas, I had no plan B. Um, that has so much pressure behind it, especially I'm 30 years old. I'm like, I didn't know what else I would, if I had failed out of that and had just been stuck with those student loans, I have no clue what I've done. I don't know where I'd be right now, but I definitely would have felt defeated. But I pass. So I say all that to say, don't start with the why. Go past that. All you really need to do, step number one, is accept the thing that you want to do, no matter how wild it is, and just go. Just start going. Just start moving in that direction. And what you're gonna, what's gonna happen while you're moving in that direction, you're gonna face roadblocks and you're gonna face hurdles and things that are gonna trip you up. And that's when the why is gonna come up. That's when you're gonna say, why the hell am I doing this? What am I doing this for? This sucks. Like when I do Muay Thai and the classes are really, really hard sometimes and I want to quit. I go into this mental space that I need to fight as hard as I can because I'm almost 40 years old and my daughter's only three and I have to stick around for her as long as I can. I talked about this on the last podcast. So I push myself as hard as I can through those workouts because that's my why. When I don't feel like doing any of the things that I'm doing right now, I think about her. I think about my wife. And I think about my dad a lot. Because he had the blueprint of the things that I'm discovering and he handed them to me. And I feel like I have to take it to the next step because he was so close. He had the idea. He knew. He had the concept. But his problem was that he didn't have anybody to teach him that concept earlier. And he had to figure it out himself. And he had to do it much later in life. And let me tell you something. For all the young people out there, I sound old. You don't have nearly as much time as you think you do at all. Trust me on this. It seems like you do. It seems like, because how many of us have played the game where you're, um, you're like, oh, if I uh, 
if I go to college now, I'll only be 25. If I go to college now, I'll be 20. Once you hit 30, the fast forward button kicks in, I promise you. And it really goes into overdrive when you're 35. Tiffany, how's it going? Hello? Good. I hope you can hear me right now. I'm not sure. I can hear you perfectly. Can you hear me? Good. good. All right. Man. I, I have, how's it going? It's going good. I've never been on this app, so I'm like, oh, make sure I'm doing the right thing. Yeah, but you're doing it right. You. Thank you for having me. No, no. Thank you. So, everybody, this is my guest, Tiffany Lindsay. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. yes. So, I met her when, I don't know how long, it was a couple of months ago at the Shrine of the yeah. Black Madonna. I mm-hmm. was taking a leap of faith and selling my artwork there. And she had a booth right across from me. And we just started, you know, chopping it up. So, Tiffany, mm-hmm. introduce yourself and we'll get going. Yeah. So, my name is Tiffany Lindsay. Thank you again for having me. And I am a child and adolescent coach. I've been working with children for over 10 years in schools, in nonprofit organizations, as an ABA therapist. And I'm just really passionate about children and just letting them know and reminding them that they matter, that what they say matters mm-hmm. and who they are matters as well, too. You know, Tiffany, I was reading your book and, and what's the name of your book again? The Root Remains. The Root Remains. I was reading your mm-hmm. book and those stories seem very personal, like you had drawn them from somewhere. Are they real stories or are they just fictional stories that you came up with for the book? So they are actually fictional stories, mm-hmm. but I know that they can very well be somebody's actual story or at mm-hmm. least bits and pieces of it. Mm-hmm. I drew everything from what I've seen, what I've heard on the news. I drew it from experiences that I've had with children and the things that they've gone through. So it's not really one person's specific Mm -hmm. story, but it can definitely be a lot of children's stories, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. know, the thing about children that's so distressing, and I see it sometimes working in the setting that I work in, is as you get older, you realize that choices can lead to different divergent paths. Yeah. They Mm -hmm. When you're young, it doesn't seem like the choices you make make a big difference or then like they matter. But one choice can lead you down a totally different path. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And That's it's true. really, really distressing seeing that. So are there any techniques or anything that you do to try to help kids pick the right way? Or do you push it? Like, how do you do it? Because kids are hard to talk to. They <laughs> they they can be difficult to talk to. So it's a moment of transparency. But mm-hmm. right before the pandemic, I was working at a middle school. Mm-hmm. So now if you were to see me, I'm very small in stature. I know you've seen me. So mm-hmm. I blend in with middle schoolers and I had no idea how they would react to me. I didn't know how they respond to me. Mm-hmm. I thought they would be like, oh, well. You look like us, so why should we respect you? But it was actually the opposite. So from my experience, I found that when you're genuine Mm -hmm. and when you're there for them, there for the right reasons, then they know that Mm -hmm. they can trust you. And it's not going to be something that happens overnight. It's literally a process because 
I had students coming up to me that weren't even in my classroom. I was the aide for Read 180, and we helped children get back on their reading level. Uh-huh. And it was the students in my class, they were talking to their friends, and their friends were coming and talking to me and their friends. And so, like, it it, it can definitely be difficult, mm-hmm. but I feel like once they trust you, they trust you enough to talk to you. So it's really a lot of times I find just something that I learned that a lot of times we're so busy trying to talk at them mm-hmm. that sometimes we forget to talk to them. Right. And more importantly, sometimes we just forget to listen mm-hmm. and not to listen just to respond, but listen just to listen because right. they got a lot to say a whole lot. But if we're always trying to talk over them, if we're always trying to get what we're trying to say across and a lot of times they feel like, well, what I'm going to talk to you for, you're not going to listen mm. anyway. Mm. And so there, that's where that isolation comes from, where that distancing, where they shut down because they feel like the person that they're talking to, their voice doesn't matter. Yeah. And I, I think what's really distressing you know, when I was growing up, I, I, you might have missed my little monologue, but, you know, from elementary all the way mm-hmm. up to high school, got picked on all kinds of stuff. And I didn't realize how much that depression mm-hmm. affects the brain mm-hmm. and harms you scholastically. And then it creates this self-fulfilling loop. And it yeah. takes a long time to get out of even though it's only a small segment of your life, because it's the years that your brain's still growing, some mm-hmm. of that stuff stays with you forever. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that's another thing, too, like with that? some of the, the clients that I work with, I always talk with their parents just to update them. And, you know, sometimes the parents are like, well, you know, that happened long ago. I thought they would be over that by now or. You know, just something along those lines. And I try to remind them that, one, we're all different, mm-hmm. but not only are we all different, but, you know, they're our kids. You know, they're seeing things for the first time. A lot of times we've experienced life, we've seen things, we've heard things, and we've had all of these experiences, but they're experiencing things for the first time. Mm-hmm. So just like we struggled when we were children, when somebody said something, when it came to bullying or something some someone did to us. Like it affects us. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes we tend to forget that. And sometimes even you know, more so, like you said, even us as adults, like I say that there are adults who are still walking around with hurt children inside of them. Like they mm-hmm. haven't healed from the things that people have said to them or the things that people have done for various, various different reasons. But we just really have to learn to give ourselves grace as parents, as human beings, and then not to forgive, not to forget, excuse me, to give our kids grace as well. You know, it's interesting that you say that because one of the topics that I generally like to talk about a lot is relationships. Mm -hmm. And over the last few days, I've been watching a video on YouTube called the human law, the laws of human laws of nature. Nature of Human Laws by Robert Greene. I might be pronouncing it incorrectly. Inconsequential. Mm-hmm. Well, there's one part where they talk about dating and the choices that people pick. And even delving into myself, what I start to realize more and more, that so the root of so many of my issues, we think it starts from our first romantic partner, but that's untrue. Mm-hmm. It starts with the relationship you have or yes. don't have 
with the member of the opposite sex, your father Mm -hmm. or your mother. And if you don't get what you're looking for in that capacity, Mm -hmm. you go through life searching for this thing. And until you can, until you're able to identify that that's the root issue. And it's interesting talking to people because they don't, they'll tell you things Mm -hmm. and they don't see the correlation. Yes. Yes. Mm hmm. Now, is that something that you notice with kids when they're making their decisions about like, yes. I, like, what do you see? Like, what's something that you've seen as far as in that aspect, as far as young people dating and the relationships with their parents? I definitely see that. So as far as individual coaching, I've been working more so with just the people that have been reaching out with mm-hmm. teenage girls okay. and, okay. you know, just with history as far as the parents history and you know just the relationships with their with their parents I can definitely see different behaviors and why they're struggling the way that they're struggling and mm-hmm. that just you know what you're saying bring brings me back to the saying looking for love in all in all the wrong places like we're trying to find validation we're trying to find someone to validate us to Tell us what we're worth because for whatever reason, mom wasn't there or if mom was there. She wasn't really there like she was present, but she wasn't present or maybe dad wasn't there. And so, like you said, we're trying to fill these voids. We have all of these deficits and we're trying to turn to other people. We're trying to turn to substances. We're trying to turn to all these different things, not realizing that until we get to the root of it, like all of the, all the other stuff is is going to be. A repetition, like it's a yeah. cycle that's going to continue until we realize, okay, I'm just scratching the surface. Mm-hmm. And what I'm doing is like I'm what I'm doing now is not working. So let me go ahead and dig deeper. Let me go ahead and dig to the root, get to the root. Yeah. But sometimes people don't want to do that because they know that when they do it, there's healing that has to happen. There's mm-hmm. wounds, there's band-aids that have to be taken off. And sometimes people don't want to deal with that. But as much as it may hurt, what you go through, you have to grow through it as well in the mm, process. Absolutely. And, you know, that growth process and something I went to the therapy for the first time, maybe I would say two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. It was rough. It was incredibly hard because even though I consider myself somebody that's a that has a great deal of introspection. And I know this is something that you've dealt with when the Mm -hmm. therapist was challenging me on my thought process because it was flawed. I got angry. Mm -hmm. I got so mad because I wasn't ready for that line Mm -hmm. of questioning. You know, a lot of times that I assume when people go into therapy, because it's like when giving advice, I guess I went in there thinking that I was going to convince him that my way of thinking was correct. Mm-hmm. And he just needed he just needed to, you know, go along and get along. And when it didn't happen that way, and I had to do some really deep dives into why I was yeah. making the decisions I was making, it sucked. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't fun at all. Have you ever had moments or anything like that where somebody's gotten... Well, I know it's happened, especially with teenagers, when you challenge their thought processes. Oh, my goodness. 
<laughs> yes, definitely. And you really, something I've learned is to not take things personal, mm-hmm. just, you know, with life in general, but especially when you're doing what you're doing, when you're, when you have a job, when you have a career to where like it's very relationship focused. And so you have to remember not to take their anger personally. You have to not take their snarky comments Mm. um, personally. There's a lot of things that you don't need to take personally because a lot of times it's like you say, sometimes they don't want to face or they don't want to hear what it is that they really need to hear or they don't want to see what it is that they even sometimes know they see in themselves, but because maybe nobody has challenged them or nobody has really caused them to dig deeper, then it's like, oh, that 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 wall comes up. It's like, wait a minute now, you like no, and I've learned not to to do that and just be like, okay, you know, just continue to give them grace because it's a process like it is for everybody. And children, you know, they aren't any different at all they are still learning they're still growing in to be honest like some of the same some of the things that they're working through are some of the things that their parents haven't even worked through yet mm-hmm. or the things that their parents have dealt with and they they're still trying to figure their way out and I think because sometimes we as adults we as parents don't have it figured out or don't know what to do we just end up in this position to where it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to ignore it in some cases because they don't know what to do, or I'm just going to do what I can. And if that don't work, then I don't know what else to do. And then you have some parents that choose to go a step further and that actually realize, okay, I've tried everything. I've exhausted everything. Now let me go outside of myself, Mm -hmm. my capacity. And that's okay because we all, need each other like it it takes a village like I really really harp on that that it takes a village to raise a child so when we realize that we don't have to do it alone and that we don't need to be alone we shouldn't be alone then I think that's where that growth and that progress really does happen and you know it's funny that you say that because you know I only got one daughter I think you might have seen her Mm -hmm. and you know there were certain things that giving me trouble I didn't know what to do and the mm-hmm. thing that I don't think we do enough as parents is that we spend so much time, say for what's going on, we spend so much time, time trying to change the child yeah. when you're really trying to change the wrong person. You need to be trying to change yourself. Yeah. I didn't realize, like I, was, I do yoga, I do all these different things. Mm-hmm. And whenever I do them, my daughter does them. If I eat avocado... Yeah. She eats avocado. Mm-hmm. And my my wife is always like, well, why are you so, I'm very not strict on her, but I don't let her eat junk food. And I don't eat mm-hmm. junk food because it sounds so cliche. But for all the people who don't have kids yet, and I'm trying to learn not to cuss, I'm getting better with it too. Those kids <laughs> are going to replicate everything yes. you do. You can say what you want to say. You can tell them the right things. They are absorbing and they're going Mm -hmm. to do what you do. I even posted and you saw it. You liked it. Mm -hmm. When you're healing Mm -hmm. yourself, you heal your family line. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And it actually moved me to tears that day Mm -hmm. because you can stop it. Yep. You you have the ability within yourself to stop 
whatever kind of generational curses mm-hmm. have been plaguing you because those things are real. Yes, they are. Mm-hmm. Have you have you ever seen when interviewing a child the, a generational curse? You can see it down the family line. Yes, definitely, definitely, and even oh my goodness, I think honestly, my first. Not really experienced, but the first time I heard about generational curses were was actually when I was in middle school. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really sure how the conversation got brought up, but one of my teachers, she was talking about how and me and me, it was a it was a female teacher, and we were very close. Mm-hmm. But she was saying how I think it was her niece, like she had got pregnant at a young age. She was a teenager and her mom had got pregnant. At a young age, she was a teenager, and it just went back mm-hmm. like generations. And so that was my first introduction to generational curses and what they were. Mm-hmm. And she was she was like a really cool teacher. So she was one of those teachers where, like, you have those that teach just to teach, mm-hmm. and then you have those that teach because it's their passion and there's purpose behind every single thing that they do. Mm-hmm. She was she was that type of teacher, and so that's how we were able to have those different types of conversations. But yeah, there's been quite a few cases to where it's like you see it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think it's hard for parents to see it when they're in it. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, like I said previously, they're in denial or they really just don't know what to do because it's all they've ever known. And sometimes when it's all you've ever known, that's just what you do because you don't know anything different. Mm -hmm. But I've definitely seen that generational thing is like okay this person is going through this and because they didn't overcome it or they didn't heal now there's another generation that's dealing with the same thing there's actually a book i just finished reading Hmm. i can't remember the author but it's it said the title is it didn't start with you Hmm. oh my goodness that was such a good book and what it talks about is of course generational curses and generational trauma Mm -hmm. but it was also talking about you know, the things that we haven't even experienced ourselves and because an ancestor, because great grandma, great grandpa mm-hmm. didn't deal with something. It's like, OK, now we have to be the ones to say enough is enough. Now we have to be the ones to say, OK, it's time to get help to get yeah. that closer. So that way it won't continue mm-hmm. beyond us. It's like, no, it may have not started with me, but it, it will stopped. stop with me. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're giving me chills right now. Listen, that book was, <laughs> you know it was, it was a good book. It have, was a good you book. Ever, have you ever read the book called The The Family Ties That Bind? I have not. I think I've heard of it, though. I actually have a list of books okay. on my, in my Amazon wish list that I what need to get. So. so that's a good one. And so is um, The Body Keeps the Score. I've Okay. I've definitely heard of that one, too. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Um and it goes in, they both talk about the, cause like I'm, it's a, so the name of the book is called, it didn't start with you, how inherited mm-hmm. family trauma shapes yes. who we are and how to end the cycle yes. by Mark Wolin. I'm definitely yes, going to listen it. to my mm-hmm. audible. People, I used to think that generational curses was just some like airy fairy, you know, something mm-hmm. that people talk. It's a real thing, and yeah, I can tell everybody yeah. on the call now, whether you know it or not, whether you've gone into yourself or not, 
it's affecting you right now yes. more, more mm-hmm. in a, on a much deeper level than you think. And I mm-hmm. mean, in all aspects, the way you eat, the way, yeah. you, how you feel about, like, let me ask you a question. Do you have a new car or a used car? A used car. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you get new cars every? This is going somewhere. Do you get new cars every? Do you hold on to them from a long time, or do you get rid of them? Hold on to them for a while. Yeah. Now, how did your mom and our dad? I'm not sure which parental figure. How did they feel about cars? Um. So okay. So my mom. Mm-hmm. She would typically get new cars and have them mm-hmm. for a while, but my dad would typically. He wouldn't get new cars. He would get used cars, mm-hmm. and he would switch those quite often. Right. See, mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. dad, mm-hmm. he would drive a car till the wheels fell off. <laughs> and yeah. my mom, she would switch them out a lot. But mm-hmm. I saw, I hate to throw my mom under the bus, that my dad was a little more fiscally responsible. So mm-hmm. that was the pattern yeah. that I followed. And mm-hmm. I start to realize when I talk to more and more people about simple things like finances, it yeah. starts from it starts from somewhere. Either they mm-hmm. they will mimic the parental figure that they have the closest attachment to, or yeah. they'll do the complete opposite yeah. of what that person did mm-hmm. in a bad or a good way. That's true. So when it comes to generational curses, what do you think is the best way or the most effective way to break them? It's not easy. It's not an easy thing to do. Yes. <laughs> it is not at all. Um, and have you ever seen any of your clients ever break them? I'm honestly still in the process. Um, sometimes it's so typically with my clients, we work for three months at a time and then the most will be six months at a time. And Honestly, it's like sometimes you'll see change and most of the time I do see change, but like it's a process. And especially if there's multiple layers that they have to work through, because some of my clients will even also because I do coaching. So some of them will also do therapy as well, or they have had therapy before. And for whatever reason, you know, sometimes it works to where, you know, their parents see progress and sometimes it doesn't work at all. And it's no knock on the therapist at all. I think also too, there are so many factors to one is the therapist, somebody you feel comfortable talking to Mm -hmm. um, just the atmosphere that is being set, just so many different things. But I think it definitely just depends on the person, the way one may go through it may not be the same way somebody else does. But I think first and foremost is the realization that, okay, this has been going on and something mm-hmm. needs to change. I think when you have that mindset already that, okay, something needs to change, you're already ahead. Yeah, because some you, people, yeah. Yeah. for an example, they're forced to go to something like anger management or some people are forced to go to therapy. Mm-hmm. And that's not, I, I get it. But at the same time, if you're still stuck on, oh, I'm right, ain't nothing wrong, then you won't have as much progress as you would have, have you already come to the conclusion that, okay, something needs to be done. Something needs to be worked on. So I think that really does depend. Sometimes it means, you know, depending on just speaking more so for adults, sometimes it means 
talking to that person that, you know, whatever happened to where a traumatic event happened or a traumatic situation, sometimes it means closing that door. Sometimes it means getting peace and healing. Sometimes you don't get the chance to talk to that person at all because they passed away and the things are, okay, so what do you do then when that person has passed away? Like you can't physically see them. You can't necessarily talk to them face to face. So it's like, what is it that can be done? So I truly do think that it just depends on the person. It depends on the situation as well. So that's a hard one. What do it you is. do when you it have is. an unresolved issue, a big issue with somebody that's gone? Yeah, that oof. that right there. So from what I read in the book, and it made a lot of sense, sometimes you just have to, and this may sound crazy, but okay. use your imagination. Like actually, even though, of course, they're not physically there, just imagine them being there. Mm-hmm. So that way you can get that closure, like say whatever it is that you need to say and just really practice saying it sometimes. Sometimes that helps. And just a lot of times it's a routine things because one person can, you know, imagine somebody say what it is that they need to say and that's done. Mm-hmm. They're good. Mm-hmm. Then while somebody else, like they have to, again, it's a repetition thing where they have to continue to say it whenever they feel triggered or whenever they feel like they're about to have an anxiety attack. Like there's so many different things that that plague us that we we struggle with. Mm-hmm. And it's because of unresolved trauma or because we haven't healed from something. But then when we do resolve, when we do heal then chances are that thing will go away. Or if it doesn't go away, then we see it a whole lot less and we're able to manage mm-hmm. whatever it is that seemed unmanageable at one point mm-hmm. a whole lot better. You know, one of the biggest things that I've had to learn when it mm-hmm. comes to resolving unresolved trauma was the acknowledging it acknowledging that it was there. And what's really helped me is picking up on my body cues when I'm triggered. Yeah. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. your body lets you know when something's going on, you know, that heart starts beating quicker. Your, what, you know, your, your speech may get a little pressured, but learning those triggers is a big deal. What are some of the most common triggers people that people verbalize to you when they're going through therapy, physical ones? I would definitely say to the point where sometimes people are shaking mm-hmm. and not necessarily like, you know, full out, but this they start to get kind of antsy mm-hmm. sometimes. And then other times it'll be where they just shut down. Mm-hmm. In a way, because they don't really know how to handle or how to work through what it is that they're going through. Mm-hmm. And so, again, you know, I'm mostly working with teenage girls. So being a teen in general is is interesting <laughs> in itself. But then you add on so many other things and even some things that I didn't have to Mm-hmm. deal with or I didn't experience a big thing being social media. I was just about to go there. Yes. Oh, man. Yes. I so worry it's, so much with that. It, yeah. 
it's it's definitely a lot. And I'm so glad that you mentioned knowing yourself. Like that's why it's so important to I know there's a lot going around about self-love and self-care, which is amazing. I feel like even though the pandemic sucked, like a lot of things were brought to the forefront. So now mm-hmm. we're we're like, OK, we're a lot more cognizant of it. And we are more free and don't mind being free when we talk about these things. Mm-hmm. But I think it is so important that we must definitely know ourselves. And then even when going back to, you know, even unresolved traumas, like I feel like sometimes and especially if that person is there, sometimes we'll try to go to people and sometimes we expect an apology or we Mm. expect them acknowledging the wrong that they've done. Mm -hmm. The truth is sometimes that won't happen. Yeah. It'll be awesome. It won't happen. Exactly. It'll be awesome if that person acknowledges the wrong that they've done and they're truly genuinely sorry. That would be awesome. But honestly, sometimes it doesn't happen. And I think sometimes we're waiting on that person and we give other people too much power mm-hmm. to do what we ourselves can do. Like my my healing doesn't have to be dependent upon what somebody says to me or doesn't say to me yeah. because they're going on about their life, doing their stuff. And here I am still living in the past. Here I am still stuck on the things that happen and I haven't been able to move forward. It's like at that point, it's like you have to decide, am I going to live in the past or am I going to be in the present? And am I, am I going to focus on moving forward to the future? Well, you know, when something like that happens to you, there's mm-hmm. so many different things that you have to unpack. And a friend yes. that I use yeah. people all the time when they come to me with issues from their past that are unresolved, I say, well, Here's the issue. You're waiting on somebody, we'll just say that yeah. was dishonest, to yeah. be honest with you. So you're yes. waiting for the thief to tell you that they're going mm. in their po- your pockets. That's mm. not going to happen. Mm-mm-mm. And one of the toughest issues that a lot of people's a lot of people face in moving mm-hmm. past is acknowledging the true character of that other person. Mm. And that's really hard, especially when it's somebody close to you, like your mother or your father Mm. or your best friend or somebody you were romantically interested in. Because when you say, when you look at the action of what the person did and you come to grips with it and you look at it for what it, what actually happened, not whatever rose colored Mm -hmm way that you'd like to view it. Mm-hmm. Well, once you realize this person did this thing, and once you acknowledge that this is the way that it happened, yeah. you have to look at this person a certain I mean, you don't have to look at the person a certain way, but for me in my healing, I said, wow, this is who this person is. I think yeah. DMX had something on Instagram that I saw that struck me when he was on Drink Champs. He said that it takes too much energy not to trust people. It's mm. easier to trust people to th- for them to be who they're going to be. A snake's going to snake. Yeah. A liar's going to yeah. lie. Mm-hmm. Just trust that they're going to do that. And that frees you up so much. Yeah. When you just Definitely. acknowledge and let people be who they are, mm-hmm. not who you want them to be, like a mother or a father, 
you may have an idealistic version of how you exactly want to be, that's it. But they can only give what they can give. That's it. That's it. And I was I was just thinking in my hand that it's, it's the expectation that we have that well, a mother is supposed to do this or a father is supposed to do this. A mother isn't supposed to do this or a father, you know who. Whoever it is, whether it's an aunt or an uncle, because like you said, sometimes it's the closest people to us that end up hurting us the most. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, it's like, okay, but that's not what's supposed to happen. That's not what you're supposed to do. That's not Mm -hmm. who you are. But I mean, it's, goodness, it's a whole nother topic because a lot of times they themselves are dealing with stuff. But Mm -hmm. anywho, it's, it's, it's definitely adjust an adjustment that has to be made because we have to be free of that free of again, what you said, the ideal that we have, the ideal person that we thought they would be and thought that they should be. And even when we go back to them, thought that they could be. Mm-hmm. And it just, <sighs> sometimes it, it just doesn't happen, but we can't, we can't wait on other people to change because at the end of the day, like we're all, responsible for ourselves like we can't mm-hmm. force anybody to do anything that they don't want to do like it's going to take them to want to change them to want to truly see themselves for who they are in the way that they are and as much as we want the best for people as much as we want to see people grow as much as we want to see people heal we can't want it more for them than they Man, want it for themselves you're you're a thousand percent correct. What took such a burden off me was when when I let go of those expectations of what I mm-hmm. thought somebody was supposed to be. But then this is the part that up until a, a year or two ago, this is what this was the paradigm shift. The paradigm shift was I decided that even though they were going to be who they were going to be. I also got to choose the dynamics of the relationship when it pertained mm-hmm. to me. I, mm-hmm. and you could be whoever you want to be, but yep. I get to choose how much or how little I deal with exactly. you and in what context. Exactly. And I'll tell mm-hmm. anybody this, and it sounds harsh. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter who it is. Mm-hmm. It, like I don't care who oh my it is. Oof. You get to dictate. I don't care if it's your mom, dad, brother, whoever. If they're not treating you, mm. when you, you ask somebody to treat you a certain way, and they decide that they're not going to, mm-hmm. don't worry about changing them. They've shown you what they've shown you, and now you get to make the decision what you want to do next. Mm-hmm. That's ooh, that is so good. So as adults, we have that opportunity a lot more freely than children do, unfortunately. Correct. And uh, sometimes, again, going back to the people that hurt us or family members. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, what then when sometimes people don't listen to what the child has to say that sometimes people sometimes even ignore and say that the child is lying about whatever it is that happened. It's just really unfortunate that they don't really get that option. Right. Like, you know, as parents, we're supposed to be the ones to protect our children and we can't protect them from every single thing. However, when something does happen, 
especially when we are aware of it. It is our job to go hard for them, to come mm-hmm. through for them. And when that doesn't happen, that's when a whole lot of issues remind, come up. Mm-hmm. It is not necessarily the trauma itself, but it's also what comes from that trauma, the trauma not being dealt with, the fact mm-hmm. that nobody's listening, the fact that people are putting them down when they did no wrong at all. Yeah. So you have that traumatic situation, that traumatic event, having to possibly still be around that same person as if nothing happened. Mm, Just I can't imagine forget that. the boundaries, forget healthy boundaries, like their boundaries don't matter at all. <laughs> and then you have just all this other stuff. So it can be very overwhelming. And my heart just goes out to so many children who are currently dealing with that. Like the people that are supposed to be there for them, the people that are supposed to stick up for them and stand up for them, they're not. And so, you know, they don't get the choice to do that Hmm. because other people are obviously choosing something different. You know, oh, buddy, I didn't realize Mm -hmm. until my dad passed how important it was to have somebody in your corner like that Mm -hmm. that championed everything you did. Because this is what a lot of parents don't realize when you don't listen to the when you don't listen to a child, you tell Mm -hmm. them they're exaggerating or what have you. You're robbing this. Okay, I'm stumbling. But the reason why gaslighting somebody is so damaging is because Mm -hmm. you're robbing them of their gut instinct. Mm -hmm. You're robbing because the gut instinct is something that we all have. That's what you start with that tells you this is right and this Mm -hmm. is wrong. Well, if somebody Mm -hmm. tells you that your gut instinct is wrong over and over and over, even though you know it's Mm -hmm. right, that means you're starting the cycle of lying to yourself. Yeah. Because this is somebody you trust and they're telling Mm -hmm. you, you know, this is wrong and you know it's not wrong. Well, then if you don't believe yourself in that thing, well, that means you have to look for other people to tell you what's right and what's wrong. And it starts a cascade effect. I'm speaking from experience to where Mm -hmm. I didn't look to myself to dictate who I was. I looked for other people to tell Mm -hmm. me who I was. And that's dangerous. Yeah. That's an incredibly dangerous thing, a cycle to start because everybody's going to tell you what what they think it should be. And a lot of times Mm -hmm. it ain't good. Exactly. Yep. Try to tell you who they think you should be, what they think you should do, all of that stuff. So with girls, and, you know, I have a girl myself, uh, and I just worry because I don't know how it's going to get better as this thing goes on. How has social media negatively affected them? (laughs) I know. Where do you start? So don't get, oh my goodness. So don't get me wrong. Social media definitely does have its benefits. Mm. I think we all know that. However, Even when I was working, you know, I was in the classroom, there would be cases where something would happen on social media. Somebody Mm -hmm. said this, somebody did that, and it would be brought to school. Mm -hmm. It didn't happen at school. It started on social media and it became something that would be in that arena, in that area, and it became physical. So it, not just with that necessarily, but also just the unrealistic expectations that they put on themselves. You know, we hear the quote, comparison is the thief of joy. Well, 
you know, they're, they are not excluded from that at all. Right. And so they see these people that they think they're supposed to look up to when they want to follow some of them and want to be just like them. And they just, it's, it's so many things that in a way it's almost overwhelming. It's gotta be, you know, yeah. I was, um, I was watching some young kid who had his own little Instagram series and he has all these other little kids on there and they're always doing something, making these dramatized things. And then I started realizing, cause I spoke one time at the city of Houston and mm-hmm. all the kids, I would say they were middle schoolers mm-hmm. out of a class mm-hmm. of 20, 15 of them wanted to be YouTube influencers. And mm-hmm. I'm sitting there and I'm looking back and I realized that, for the most part, being a YouTube influencer, I, I guess the next career progression would be a reality TV star. Well, mm-hmm. what worries me about that is that boring lives don't make good TV. So yeah. if you are in a space where you're constantly putting yourself on Instagram and doing mm-hmm. wild things and not living a normal life, yeah, you know, there's a certain point where you know, fake it till you make it where that's going to become your actual character. Like that's who you're, yeah, you're going to exactly. fake being somebody so long that you're going to turn it. Like if you do it from the age mm-hmm. of 15 to 35, that's not going to be an act anymore. That's who you're actually going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree with that because there, <laughs> so I wasn't even, really getting on YouTube that much, but they would come to me and tell me, Hey, you follow um, this certain person or this couple on YouTube. And they would just be talking about things they were doing. I'm just like, y'all like one again, you know, sometimes not, not for everybody on YouTube. I, I truly do believe that there are some genuine authentic people on there, but that's not the case for everybody. Mm-hmm. But them, you know, being the age that they are, being young and impressionable, they're going to take it for what it is and they're going to think that it's real. Yeah. And they're going to yeah. think that this is normal to do, even though it's not really normal. And so there are so many influences, so many things that are telling them what to do, telling them who to be, how to act, what to, to do, what not to do. And it's just, it's, uh, it's worse. It is, like, <laughs> I thought, oh, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. I cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, no, you're okay. I'm just uh, close this out real quick. But I was saying that it's funny because each generation always says how they don't understand the generation <laughs> that comes after them. Yeah. Because there's yeah. such a, like, a, just a divide. Just They just don't get it. And it's like, even though, you know, the, the girls that I work with, they are in the generation that they're in. It's like, I still get it. But then also, too, it's like, you have to be open minded if you are so close-minded then of course you're not going to get it but we have a lot more in common than we think we do Mm. like what do you mean i mean as far as i know how some people have mentioned oh this generation is uh well not my generation but you know teens and and whatnot now how they say that a lot of them are disrespectful or they just don't care now, we was I do believe <laughs> there are some that are disrespectful and don't care. However, I think it's also just some of them, a huge part of them that are choosing to speak differently, are choosing 
to stand up and stand out in a way that some of us generally wouldn't mm. like even taking black black history month like even taking it back to the civil rights movement like a lot of them who were active in the civil rights movement they were, were young people some of them were teens a lot of them were teens mm-hmm. and so i don't know you know i wasn't born back then obviously but possibly some of their older generations were saying oh why are y'all doing this or I don't know if y'all should do this and whatnot, but they still prevailed. And I know it's not the same thing, but it's just seeing that every generation has its own way of doing something. And it's not always necessarily a bad thing, Mm -hmm. but I think sometimes it becomes a bad thing to us when we don't understand it or just choose not to understand it. Yeah. Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. I never thought about it in that context, but being closed minded, Mm -hmm. you're not going to get to the root of the issue. You're not going to find out the why. One of the things that I there's two things that I see going on that really do worry me. Um, One face tattoos. I worry about that with the with the younger (laughs) kids. I'm like, you know, you're not going to be able to. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough going because when I was growing up, I'll tell my age, I'm 39. There was a very, very, very small segment of people that had tattoos to begin with, Mm -hmm. an even smaller segment of people that had them on their neck. And Mm -hmm. like, it was really only hardened criminals who had them on their neck, face and head. Now I'm seeing young girls with tattoos like that's Mm -hmm. alarming and the second thing that's really alarming is i now let me tell everybody i made some really really poor decisions from the ages of 18 to now but putting only fans is where i'm going with this having a, Mm -hmm. a, a, a internet print like that that i don't think they realize that those things are never going to go away Mm-hmm. That they're always gonna be yeah. there, and even if they change as a person, yeah, they're gonna come back. They're gonna come yeah. back and haunt them, and that's what I worry about because I get that there's money in it, and they don't. It's hard when you're young to see future ramifications. Yeah, exactly. Now, let me ask you this: Have any of the girls that you've ever dealt with? done any of those things as far as like having an OnlyFans account or anything like that and it's come back on them in a negative context or do they do a pretty good job of hiding that type of thing from the therapist um so far I haven't heard anything and they're they're all like really young so they're like 14 Mm -hmm. in that age range okay um yeah (laughs) babies yeah, they're, they're they baby babies. Even though sometimes they may feel like I ain't no baby. Whatever, y'all babies, okay? But yeah, no, they they haven't. So we we definitely do talk about different things about sexuality and just how they feel as far as emotions and and whatnot. Because they're adolescents, so they're even though they are still kids, it's like they're they're in the transition between childhood and adulthood. So it's a lot, a whole lot going on with hormones and responsibilities and just figuring out who they are. And so that's why I say that that age, I think children in general are impressionable, but especially that age. And I think a lot of times we kind of forget about that age group 
Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I even hear like how a lot of people, like some people do want to work with younger kids because, you know, their attitudes and they seem to be nicer and more accepting as far as, you know, what you tell them to do and what you tell them not to do and different things like that. But I know in high school, it's like they're kind of in a way set in their ways and they're working towards getting on out and going ahead and figuring out life for their own. But then you have middle school where it's like a a very fine line in between all of that. (laughs) In between all of that, it's like a lot of times they think they have everything figured out. And then at the same time, they'll, you know, be boohooing about some boy that that, that <laughs> said something or did something. So it's it's interesting. Yeah. Not realizing that in a, a week or so, you're not even going to be thinking about Yes. That boy. But it's the end of the world. Yes. But, you know, that's everybody. And all, you know, yeah. all kids have to worry about that. But yeah. like I said, mm-hmm. what worries me about this generation, you know, all the things, all the mess ups that I had, they're only in people's memory. They're yeah. not like imprinted for the whole world to see mm-hmm. forever. Because I used to not believe in cyberbullying. I was like, man, whatever. We used to get punched in the face. Well, you know, a punch Good in the thing. face Ooh. is that's only going to last, you know, yeah. a couple of days. But mm. somebody doing something to you poor on the internet, it yeah. could possibly go around the entire world. Exactly. Like, who wants to end up being a meme? Exactly. And it's it's so interesting that you mentioned that because I'm always looking into different things and researching and I was reading about cyberbullying and, you know, they were just, it was um, not verbatim, but they were saying how traditionally, traditional bullying would be, you know, you go to school, you have a bully there, whatever happens, happens at school and then you get to go home. The only time you have to deal with that bully is when you go to school. So you have an escape. Now, with cyberbullying, not only do you have to see that person at school or that group of people, possibly. Now, when you go home, you still have to deal with that. So there really is no kind of escape. And so I think that's why there's such an alarming amount of children who are now depressed, an alarming amount of children who, unfortunately, are now starting to commit suicide because to them there is no escape and like on top of that like who knows what they're dealing with at home yeah i couldn't imagine you know because when i I was very depressed child i don't know if you got on that part but very depressed child i would just come home and go right to sleep because Mm -hmm. i was getting picked on so bad but that was my reprieve that was my escape Mm -hmm. was going home and going to sleep yeah I could not imagine walking around with a cell phone, going on mm. Instagram or going on Facebook and people talking about how whack I was mm. or the girl that I tried asking out, you know, saying, I can't believe this chump. I just can't like, that would be horrible. Yeah. That'd yeah. be horrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I couldn't even, I'm trying to imagine it. Like I'm going to that place and I can't. Because I don't know what you would do in that. I don't know what you would do. You could move, but that wouldn't fix it. Exactly. Exactly. 
Because you still have a lot of them still have social media. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, say your parents make you delete social media. Well, you still have friends that are going to be talking about it because kids talk. So it's just, uh, it's a lot. And even going into what you were saying about how whatever you put on the internet is permanent. Like we've, I think we've all heard or seen where, especially when it comes to Twitter, how things are resurfacing, resurfacing that people have said a long time ago, yeah. and now they're having to deal with, and now they're having to confront the things that they say, and sometimes like Joe Rogan, they're right? even getting in trouble with it. Like Joe I'm sorry, what'd you say? I said like Joe Rogan yes. is dealing with that right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Regardless of how he said it, it's the context. Mm-hmm. It's like come full circle. Yeah. And there's really nothing he can do about it at this point. Exactly. Like, it's pretty it's much, on the internet. Yeah, it's on, it's there. <laughs> it's public. And you know, and I think we all deal with that, especially I mean, you I I really I really think there's a couple of things I really think about what I say and post on the internet. Yeah. I don't say or post much. I don't really talk about anything controversial. And on top of that, I have been if it wasn't for this podcast. I have been decreasing my social media consumption greatly because Mm -hmm. I'm very convinced that it leads to underlying and consistent, constant anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say it leads to an underlining anxiety, because I make a bet with anybody on the line, hundred bucks, that if you go on to Facebook for one hour, you will see something mm. that'll piss you off. Mm-hmm. I guarantee it. Just just scroll for an hour. If you don't, I don't know what kind of algorithm you have, but you'll find something in some comment section that's inflammatory. So think about it. You're you're create you're you're turning something on in your body that's anticipatory. So because every time you go on to Facebook, whether you know it or not you're anticipating seeing something like that on a subconscious level. So what would, if you're in, like if you walk through a door every day and you anticipated somebody flicking you in the nose, every time you walk through, you're going to have, even if it doesn't happen every day, you're going to have that, that sense of dread just lurking underneath. Somebody asked me in the comment section, so why not get off, right? Well, the reason that all of us have trouble getting off is because social media is addictive. It gives you those little dopamine hits because I think everybody's tried to quit social media at one point. True or false? Have you ever tried quitting? Yes, (laughs) I have. What's the longest you went without social media? Um, I would say about three months. That's pretty good. What made you get back on? Really business. Yeah. <laughs> like if it, if it wasn't like, honestly, that is the main reason why I am on social media. Mm-hmm. Like outside of that, like even with my, besides Facebook, but especially with Instagram, I did mm-hmm. have a personal Instagram, but I don't even post on there. It's just post for business. And then I go ahead and get right on off. But balance is definitely necessary. Like I have to take breaks and whenever I feel myself Mm -hmm. starting to get overwhelmed or 
or just like, oh, okay, it's about that time, then I just step away because you have to. Yeah. Like it's it's Thank necessary for I I recommend it for any and everybody. Like whenever you get that feeling to where things are just becoming overwhelming, you're spending too much time on there, or it's just affecting your mental health in any kind of way, take mm-hmm. a break. Yeah. It'll it's still gonna be there when you get back. I promise it. <laughs> it really is. There. And a lot of time I mean, there's some good that can come from it, but I've made the argument with my wife, she didn't like it, that I sometimes I feel like there's been more negative than positive from social mm-hmm. media. Uh, one of the examples that she used was, well, you know, you use it so your grandma, my grandma, can see pictures of my daughter. And I said, well, you know, if social media didn't exist, would I make a greater effort to reach out? Would I try mm-hmm. driving down there? Would I call more? Because I, a lot of times I think we use social media as communication by proxy as opposed yeah. to real communication. Mm-hmm. You know, we have we do like somebody's comment, send them a Facebook happy birthday message, even though the only reason we know that they had a birthday is because Facebook. And notifications. Yep. <laughs> yep. And so it's like, is that even is that even real? Is or is that just mm-hmm a false sense of communication. So I know that you do mm-hmm. have to get off because you got short people in the background. So, <laughs> so let us know when's the next time that you're going to be at the Shrine of the Black Madonna. So I will be there again the first Saturday in March. I can't remember what date that is exactly, okay. but I do try to go there at least once a month. But I will definitely be there okay. the first Saturday in March, I'll be okay. there. And can you drop your website or best way somebody can reach you? And what's yes, you definitely. So my website is handsaheartcoaching.com. And then it's the exact same thing on Instagram, handsaheartcoaching, as well as on Facebook too. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on and spending some time talking to me and my audience. And hope to see you again at the Shrine. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank y'all for sticking around and hearing me. I know y'all used to <laughs> hearing him, but you know, just hearing somebody extra. Thank y'all for listening. I appreciate it. All right, thank you for having me again. Yes, ma'am. I'll talk to you later. All right. Take care. You too. All right, y'all. So we are an hour and 20 minutes in. I am opening the phone lines if anybody wants to call in. So what I'm going to talk about now is something that I saw on the internet that I thought well, on the internet and YouTube was really interesting. The difference between pleasure and happiness. So let's start. So pleasure and happiness, there's two different neurotransmitters, right? You have dopamine and you have serotonin. So and this is a brief science lesson, but it's not going to get too complicated to where you can't you know, follow along. So dopamine is a learning transmitter, right? It gives you positive reinforcement. It tells you that, hey, this feels good. I want to do more of it. Serotonin on the flip side tells you that this feels good, but I don't want or need anymore. So that's, that's the basis of the difference between happiness and pleasure. Now, I know you guys have heard me talk about cortisol especially with coffee in the morning, numerous times. Cortisol is a stress hormone, and it mostly lies in your prefrontal, 
prefrontal cortex and it keeps you from making bad decisions. It's basically like your lizard brain, keeping you from jumping off a building. Well, if you have issues with your prefrontal cortex, like a prefrontal cortex dysfunction, you're constantly in a state of living in the moment, needing more and more dopamine to exist. So in this, not study, but in this speech, he gave you seven different ways Really fascinating guy. I don't remember his name, but inconsequential. Seven different ways that you can differentiate pleasure versus happiness. Way number one, pleasure is short term, like eating a meal, whereas happiness is long term, like a lifetime. Pleasure is very visceral. You feel it in your body, where happiness is ethereal and you feel it more in your head. Pleasure is taken like a casino where happiness is given. Like when you give somebody a gift or give back to the community, pleasure is generally achieved alone. Whereas like eating a cake, whereas happiness is generally in a group setting. That one can be disputed, but I'll continue. Pleasure is achievable with substances. This one is spot on, like cigarettes, cocaine, weed, alcohol, whereas happiness is not achievable with an outside substance. With pleasure, it operates in extremes, once again, with substances or behaviors, shopping, sex, social media, all these extremes generally are addictive and end with an act-aholic of some kind, shopaholic, sexaholic. Whereas on the flip side, happiness is not addictive in this way. Now the question is, why is happiness not addictive, but pleasure is? So pleasure, so real easy and quick way to do it. Pleasure equals dopamine equals excitatory neurotransmitter. Happiness equals serotonin, which is an inhibitory transmitter. So the thing about these transmitters, when they're excited, they can only deal with so much of that excitement before they start to do something called downregulating. So they go from downregulating to just deadening. So when, when a neurotransmitter downregulates, what it does is it decreases the amount of neuroreceptor sites. So you have to produce more dopamine to get less and less of the effect. And because you're having to do more to get less, it equals into an addiction. Whereas serotonin on the flip side, it's not an excitatory hormone. It's an inhibitory neurotransmitter. Because of that, Downregulation doesn't occur because it doesn't override the body. But what is interesting, what is the counterbalance to serotonin and what inhibits serotonin is dopamine. And long story short, what that means, now I'm just about to start talking about whatever. What that means is the more dopamine that you produce and the more pleasure you seek, the less happy you'll become. 
And I think any of us who are over the age of 35 can say that that's absolutely true. I had a moment in my life where I stayed at this place called the Oxford and I would, I would drink every day. I would smoke cigarettes every day. I mess out with different girls. And when I was younger, I said it was one of the most exciting times in my life. But looking back, it was one of the most depressing times of my life. I was not pleased or happy with my current situation, but I was getting so intoxicated all the time and doing these pleasure-seeking activities. It seemed fun, but my life was in shambles. I get greater happiness now from cleaning my house, from washing my dishes, from organizing my closet, because that's contentment. I know you can relate. You can call in, Tasha. We can talk about it. That pleasure-seeking behavior, you do require more and more and more and more. It is never enough. When you meet people who are addicted to sex, and you can definitely get addicted to sex, it keeps increasing. It doesn't slow down. Uh, I'm not judging anybody for anything they do with kinks and all that kind of stuff. But some of the more extreme stuff, you don't start out that way. Things occur. And generally, at the root, something went wrong. I'll speak for myself, personal experience. When I was most, most promiscuous, I was at my least happiness. I was trying to fix something inside of me that I thought could be achieved. Somebody just tried to call in. Try calling in again. Sometimes it requires headphones, but I did not deny you. Try to call one more time. Like I said, the phone calls, phone lines are open. When you do certain, when I thought, when I was drinking all the time, I was trying to, I was trying to use all these external things to fix an internal problem, but I was just too cowardly, too afraid to face it, to say what it truly was. Um, but that comes with growth. Hey, Tasha, what's going on? Hey. What's cracking? So I didn't realize I needed headphones. My bad. It's all good. <laughs> I should have I let you know, but you said you could relate. Oh, yeah. Um so much. It's crazy that you're actually talking about this subject because we were just having a discussion about it during dinner, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that has become more relevant, prevalent <laughs> in my daily life now. You were, you know, over 35. I'm about to be 43 mm-hmm. um, and had a lot of life changes here recently with health mm-hmm. and just all kinds of things. And one of them, you know, is this thing between having pleasure and being happy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we 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 look to these. I want to say things of the flesh. Mm-hmm. That's what they are. <laughs> that yeah, that we believe, and I'm not saying that they don't. If you're in the right space, if you're in the right head, if you're, you know, doing things, they can be pleasurable. But but to a certain extent, like I was in a place where I turned also to 
alcohol to mm-hmm. partying to yeah that was fun 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 mm-hmm. fun more, but more, at the more. end of the day and yeah the next day I would be like ugh did I really have that much fun uh, doing that <laughs> no I would be regretting not. it so much yeah. you know what I mean like it wasn't that much fun at 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 when I really thought about it. When you, you know, and, it's 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 so funny that you say that because it's one of the, the, the I always say it's one of the devil's greatest tricks, right? Totally. He'll give you, yeah. He'll give you these things that are pleasurable. Well, they seem pleasurable, but what you don't realize is that if you keep doing them, it'll lead to death. And people Correct. think it's in a metaphorical sense. It's like, no, it's in a real life sense. A literal. If you keep drinking, you will, you, it'll kill you. Anything Literally. that the world gives you, <laughs> anything that the world gives you that's pleasurable, it will eventually kill you from food to yes. sex to, you name it. Yeah. That's what it's designed to do. It, it really is. And I... You know, I was speaking, my, I have lupus. And mm-hmm. so um, the kidneys are one of the, <laughs> one, you know, one of the major things um, that can be affected. And alcohol mm. is one of the worst things um, that I could possibly inject into my body um, to prolong <laughs> any type of, you know, life. Um I was in a space where, honestly, if I didn't get out of that, I was literally mm-hmm. going to die. Not yes. like metaphorically, <laughs> <laughs> not in the, oh, I gotta, but like it was, you know, it's leading to that. You know, there's no real, they say, you know, there's no cure for lupus and everything. But ever since I stopped and I, you know, I, I completely stopped doing any outside foreign anything in my body except for what the doctor has prescribed me Mm -hmm. Uh, and the significance of like physically feeling better is is been I don't know night and day now yes do I still do I feel some actual pains yeah because I'm not numbing I'm not numbed Mm mm-hmm you know, which is what all the alcohol and stuff, it just numbed me. It just made me, it made me feel good (laughs) at the time, but it was just numbing to what was really going on. And sometimes what I feel is, you know, you might have to feel some real pain in order to really heal. You're going to, you absolutely have, you know, when you go through that, they you know, and rehab, they call it withdrawal, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, and that's for a different podcast. I'll have to get on and talk about that. Yeah, we'll <laughs> but, talk about that. Um, you come back not next week, but the week after, and we can talk about all that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love to. Um, but yeah, no, pleasure, pain. I, you know, am... Am currently, you know, what do they say? Taking a, a sabbatical <laughs> from yeah. a lot of things, but I'm finding happiness in living. And, and man, yeah, 
You know what I mean? Like I do. I'm, I'm really clear headed. I can, mm-hmm. I, I feel good. I wake up, I go to bed at a good time. Mm-hmm. I'm not all foggy when I wake up, I wake Man. up early and I, you know, I, I'm doing stuff and, you know, I have kids. So that's a, another big deal being able to just be in life. Yeah. Because and not just like, there's with, Going through the motions. Going through the motions and being in this constant post-drunk haze. You know, I was drinking so much at one point that, I mean, I'm I'm not ashamed to admit it, but I had gotten so used to the feeling of being hungover every day that I thought it was normal. Like That's normal, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that was my normal. I didn't even know... So, you know, confession. Yeah. And, you know, we point. don't realize then either hmm. that it affects other people. Yeah. Because they see it, too, but they yeah. don't even know how to address it. And they won't because they're but then they get used to you being like that, too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I had, you people, know? I had people that tried to address it and I got angry. I was so deep into it. I would get yeah, angry. get mad at them, huh? Oh, yeah. I'm like, man, ain't nothing wrong with me. <laughs> ain't nothing wrong with me. I'm all right. I don't drink as much. And then you would equate yourself to somebody who had a, just a bigger drinking problem than you. And right. you thought that, you know, well, I don't drink ain't as that much bad. Billy Joe. I'm not, you know, <laughs> falling over. I still go to work every day and I got a job. Function, a functional, mm-hmm. they call it functioning. Functioning alcoholic. I tell uh, people yeah. that at one point at my peak, on a daily basis, I would drink a six pack and two shots every night. At least, just to, right? Just to go to sleep. Yeah. And then on right. the weekends, I'd ramp it up. And I even right. told myself at one point that drinking at noon was okay. Like it's five you know, o'clock somewhere. Yeah. So I, you know, as long as I eat lunch, I will, you know, I had something on my stomach. You know, it sounds funny, but that's really what I was killing. I was just abusing my body. It's the justification that we give it to make it okay for mm-hmm. us because we have to. And or otherwise, then we would be admitting that we had some type of issue. Yeah. Or admitting that we were doing something that we knew, but it was normal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Daily. Yeah. And when Daily. you didn't, Man. you felt like, ah, you didn't, you don't feel right. But it's, it happens. And there's, and you said you shouldn't, you're not ashamed of talking about, as you shouldn't be. I think, mm-hmm. I think this is a great Thing that you're doing. I'm so glad I got on. I'm sorry I was on late, but no, no I think worries. it's a great thing that you're doing to bring these type of topics and these type of discussions out into the air because people are afraid and they don't know how to talk about it and they don't want to talk about it in fear of being ridiculed or being mm-hmm. embarrassed or having someone put them down or making them feel some type of way, which then turns them to do it even more because they're yep. like, well, are they already think I'm this way. So why not just do it? Yeah. You know, so and I applaud you by the oh, way for oh, having this type of forum where people can actually say what they need to say Mm-hmm. You know, there's no, you know, you can't see my face <laughs> or whatever. So it's not like they're like, oh, I know who that person is. You know, it's not judging. It's 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 really great. I find it to be really 
awesome. I think more people should be able to express themselves, talk about it Mm -hmm. openly, especially with other people who can relate Mm -hmm. because it's hard when you're talking to people or even wanting to talk to people who have no clue of what you're talking about. Oh yeah. Do you know what I mean? They're like, it gets really difficult. They're like, why don't you just quit? And you're like, shut up. (laughs) Like, if I could do that, then there wouldn't be a problem in the first place. You know what I'm saying? There wouldn't be an issue. But, you know, one of the biggest things that I found out about this podcast and another huge trick that the devil pulls is he makes you he makes you want to feel that you're all alone, that you're the only one going through this. No one's ever felt this way. And the more and more I opened up. More and more people are like, yeah, me too. Yeah, me oh, too. Oh, yeah, me too. And I'm like, well, why didn't nobody, why was I sitting over here going through all this by myself, not realizing that everybody's dealt with depression? Everybody's dealt with anxiety. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. dealt with rejection. Like, this isn't something unique to just me because there really isn't anything new under the sun. And you can get so right. much power. By just hearing how not only that somebody went through it, especially if it's somebody you admire, but how to get out of it. Because here's the thing, and I and I always harp on this. Yeah, you can get out of it. You don't yeah. have to stay there. It's totally possible, even if it doesn't seem so. Right. Because sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> it really doesn't. It really I, I've, doesn't. And I've done it several times. Actually, I'm going to admit that. Like I've gotten out of it, got back in it, gotten out of it, mm-hmm. got back in it. I think I'm, I think I'm in a place where I'm, I'm good <laughs> now. But you never know. It, it doesn't. You know, life happens, and there are things in life that can have you swing back. It's where you're found. I feel like how 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 far are you? How done are you? Right. How tired are you mm-hmm. of having to keep going through it? I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm I got to get off the hamster wheel. Yeah. And at this point, my life, the way that I feel right now, daily getting better and better and better, it's exciting to me. The future yeah. seems exciting. It's new. It's yeah. different. It's it, it's got some promise to it. Right. And, you know, yeah, a big awesome. thing that I see people doing, and I always go back to it because this is something that really affected me and it started the hamster wheel, is relationships. Yeah. I always go back to it. And people are like, why do you always talk about relationships? Because for me, it was such an integral part of my life. And to be honest, it's yeah. what led me down the road of doing those things because right. I was masking the hurt. Yeah. And Instead of addressing it and finding healthier ways to cope, because of my personality type, I immediately went into self-destruction. And I'll yeah. let everybody out there know that is what you're doing when you, you're you're almost, if you think about it, committing slow suicide. Yeah, because you lose yourself. Mm-hmm. You're not you're not even living for yourself anymore. You're just conforming to. <laughs> trying to be who this other person needs you to be and not Mm -hmm. who you need to be for you. And sometimes being who you need to be does mean 
you might have to be by yourself for a little bit. Man. Until, you know what I mean? And as hard as it is, because I'm the personality type too, I'm a person who I I like to, I like it when other, when I, when I know that I'm doing something to make somebody else happy, but I've, mm-hmm. I've lost myself in doing that. Oh yeah. And in doing that, then I'm really losing myself, but not just losing myself, losing everything else around me too. Yeah. <laughs> and this and person is doing whatever they the still, anyway. you lose the person sti- anyway. <laughs> you still do. Yeah. At the at the but, end of that rainbow, go ahead. Yeah, no, and and it's true, you know. And then what? And then what you got? You got really got nothing. Like, mm-hmm. and then you fall into a deeper depression because you're like, oh my god, I I lost that person too. And then you turn even more, and it, it just becomes this huge snowball. Yeah, and that's the hardest part. If you can, but if you can get out of that. And that's why, like, again, I say this type of forum is so important. And believe me, I'm going to share it with I ever since I started really sharing my story mm-hmm. um, about my and I call it my journey because it's still going on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a, and, you know, I've lost <laughs> I've recently lost a bunch of quote unquote friends. You ain't lose nothing. And exactly. <laughs> um, but I have gained a bunch of family, mm. if you can relate to that. Yeah. Um, because I, to- I totally can. You don't even know. You know, it's so many people. I didn't know. So many people were like, oh, my gosh, you're. And they keep calling me brave. You're mm. so brave. And you seem you know, like you don't care what people say. And I, I don't care, but I do care. Of course you do care as a human being. Of course you care, but I am not afraid. I think that's what it is anymore to speak it. I think that I, if no one else is saying it, so you know what? I got a mouth. I like to talk. I figure Mm -hmm. (laughs) I like to write. What, what's, who's it going to hurt at this point? I've, I've done everything else and everyone mm-hmm. seems to like that. So if they're willing to listen, maybe they're not willing to listen, but that's mm-hmm. okay. There are some people who were like, oh my gosh, I needed to hear that. Mm-hmm. I needed to know that, like, I, I, I've totally been feeling that same exact way. I just didn't know. Like you said, they don't know that there's other people out there, a whole literal community mm-hmm. a whole family <laughs> because there's more than just one type of family i feel like you know you have your blood which you can't help because that's your blood mm-hmm. but you also have family that they're going through a lot they've been through a lot we're human beings we're not perfect we're sinners we're going to continue to do so every single day no matter what there's all kinds of different sins and you know even in thoughts and things like that mm-hmm. it's not easy it's a daily journey every day i wake up and you know my faith in god is what is a lot and i'm not you know do i don't do speak a whole bunch of religious i do post no, no, about okay. my about my faith and stuff because everyone has their own thing, but it's something that's really gotten me through. 
Yeah. And you, you know, I believe every individual has to find their own thing, but I believe this, one of the main things is talking about it, communicating, yeah. holding stuff in. Hey, that's the, it's a silent killer. It doesn't work. And it doesn't work. It, it, doesn't. it just, it, it makes it worse because you're inside thinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, a, that's a way of saying you're inside thinking. Yeah. Do no, you know, and that right. internal, the internal can be worse than external. Mm-hmm. Cause you don't Cause know you what's really going it. on. You, you, you can't. can't escape it. And you're the one telling yourself it. That's right. Makes it worse. And you're looking all happy and people are like, Oh, you're great. But you're really killing yourself on the inside because you're mm-hmm. the worry and the, the pain mm-hmm. that you feel inside. And then you, 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 in, uh, I can't even think of the word it is introverted into yourself. Yeah. You and make you yourself sick. Yourself. Yeah. You, you balled up in a ball, you, you cry, you, mm-hmm. you, you don't get out of your pajamas. Mm-hmm. You, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm, you I'm, know what I mean? you know, the way that you're talking, I know the, and this is the unfortunate thing about it because I've had people tell me the same thing. You seem like you got it all together. You seem like you know what you're talking about. And I say, well, here's the thing to get here. You have to go to the absolute bottom of yourself. Rock bottom like almost. The absolute bottom. And what I tell a lot of people, what I've come to realize as I grow older, I used to ask myself, God, why are you doing this to me? But the reason why he'll do it to you is because, and this is the only way I can phrase it, is he's waiting for you to submit to his will. Because Literally. when you decide that you're going to keep doing whatever you're going to do. He's like, okay, dude, I'm going to let you keep doing it and it's not going to work. So until you're ready to say, Hey, come to this side, it's not going to work. And cause I know, cause the first 35 odd something years of my life wasn't working out too hot. Right. Trying to make it, trying to do it by yourself. Trying to do do it by myself and trying (laughs) Trying to to do do what I I wanted to do. I got it. And God's like, well, that's not right. Well, right. yeah, but I want to do, I want to eat chocolate every day. Well, you're going to get fat and whatever. You're going to catch and diabetes, you know? Catch, but. Yeah. <laughs> but you, we just so, because I look back and had I never had a single alcoholic beverage in my entire life, my life would have had no negative consequences. I wouldn't have missed nothing. Nothing. Because I don't even remember some of those nights. Mm. Most of them. Most of them. I don't really, I don't. a lot of them. Mm. Right. And what did like? And I ask people this question. People are like, oh, the good memories. I'm like, okay, name a couple. And then they can't. I'm like, really think about it. Like, because I can't like, remember either. Because I was drunk with you. Yeah. Like it seems like you had all these great memories, but all my great memories all come from my great accomplishments that were. Mm. They were all my like me graduating, me having my daughter, me competing right. in my first boxing match. All things that took something real, like yeah. some real dedication. Those are the only things I remember. All those drunken nights, I, I didn't get nothing from that but wasted money and bad decisions. And horrible pictures. Ugh. Horrible, horrible <laughs> pictures. 
I mean, yeah. You know, I think, too, once you get to a certain, like, once you do hit rock bottom, also, you have to be able to be honest with oneself so mm-hmm. much and honest with God as well. If that's the hardest thing, it is like being able to say, you know what? <laughs> yep. This is it. I'm, the, you know, I, it, it's so hard to be truthful when you know that what you've been doing just, it, it don't, it looks real ugly. Yeah. Well, because it looks ugly. It sounds ugly. Yeah. Because once and you it's have, hard. Once hard. It, it's, man, it's, it is and, difficult. It's, it's That's why easy. I say it's a daily, it's daily. Cause mm-hmm. there is still right now, even so there's like days I'm like, Ooh, let me just get, <laughs> let me just go. Let me just, just go. I just want to turn over. <laughs> but in that moment that what I've been finding mm-hmm. is I, I, and <laughs> And and it sounds kind of crazy to a lot of people, but I pray on it. I really do. Like I just, Lord, mm-hmm. please help me right now. <laughs> well, you like know, I know I'm trying. You know what's really helped me is that I developed new habits. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's like I can't remember. It's not an automatic habits, but there's a book called Hello Habits. If you wanted to, because you didn't just, you didn't come out the womb drinking. You didn't come out doing some of right. stuff. You just did it so much, it became a habit. So It became what, a habit. Mm-hmm. So what you need to do, not you in particular, but anybody, is if you want to develop a new habit, you make the good habits easier to get to and the hard habits harder to get to. Like for me, right. I love sweets. So I just don't buy mm. them. I just don't buy sweets because I'm not going to get up and go to the store and get them. I'm just going to go to my fridge or go to my cabinet. Well, if a box of Oreos is there, I'm going to eat them. Right. But if they're not there and there's an apple, it may not, it didn't work the first couple of days, but now I've done it so much and so consistently, I've just developed the habit of eating better because you can learn, unlearn anything, anything on the planet. I'm trying to journal. Okay. Do you do it every morning? I'm kind of. <laughs> okay. I'm still. You know that's how this podcast started. I'm still working on it. That's how this podcast started. I'm actually like. I just put some new pins. All right. And stuff in my like Amazon card, but see that's another thing. Like I now am starting to get addicted to Amazon shopping, and that's oh, not. Oh no. Either. I know. <laughs> Put it. Put down the. Put down the app. Freeze. <laughs> put down the see, app. But, but see, that's the thing. Like there is. Hmm. It's not just. You have to be careful. Okay. With where you channel your quote unquote addictions, because people mm-hmm. want to be like, oh, you're an addict. Because if it, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be turning to alcohol. So I. I don't want to get addicted to shopping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's a yeah. balance. It is. So I really do now. I pray and I'm 
I'm turning to my Bible. I mm. I actually listen. That's what I and I'm journal. I'm trying to do the journaling. I'm not. I haven't been doing it every morning, but I like right. do it like peri- periodically throughout the day. I'm trying to get more on a schedule okay. just so it can be regular. Or okay. even when I'm just thinking about something else, just start writing. You get to there. channel just my energy there. It. I listen to. I got a study Bible, Dr. Okay. Tony Evans study Bible. I highly recommend for anybody that's listening because it is life Write that down. So what's his name again? Dr. Tony. Tony Evans. Oh my gosh. He has, Evans. he has really changed my perspective on just, I don't know, life in general, okay. but also this crazy thing, you know, that, this 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 Bible that I've never yeah. understood in my entire life because it could be the most intimidating, confusing thing. Everyone just trying to give you an explanation about this is what God wants. This is what He let me ask you. Whole plan. Let me ask you yeah. a question, Latash. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Not this Sunday, but the next Sunday. So after Super Bowl Sunday, what are you doing? I I do my services in the morning at this time. At this time, I'm normally free. Okay, well then we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk more about it because this show only runs two hours because Podbean (laughs) puts me off, and we're at the one hour and fifty four minute mark. But I think oh yeah, let's close it out. We got more to talk about. So it was a pleasure having you on. It was a pleasure having you on. Oh, yeah. Thank on. you. I'm so glad I got to be at least catch the end of you. I... No, it's all good. I'm so glad you came on. You gave me a little energy. Yeah. Um, my guest was great. She, you, I hate that you missed her. She had a great interview talking about some of the difficulties that kids are having. I wrote down her site, so I'm going to check her out. Yeah, go check it out. You'll love it. All right, y'all. I'll holler at y'all, not next week, but the week after. Uh, Peace.